I'm not afraid to share the the ugly stuff as well because vulnerability is honestly it's strength and that's what I, I truly believe is that if you can be able to be vulnerable with yourself but then also with others I admire that over being physically strong because I think that for me is so admirable and the strength to share vulnerability is not credited enough in this world. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share honest and inspiring conversations so you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebelagen. Most of us came to know Brooke Blurton from The Bachelorette when she made headlines around the world as the first Indigenous and openly bisexual woman to take the lead in the franchise's history. But as any one of Brooke's 200,000 followers will know, reality TV is merely a footnote in her life story. Growing up in the country town of Carnarvon on Kuwen Wardu land, Brooke's childhood was one punctuated by tragedy. After losing her mum and nan at the age of 11, Brooke was forced to grow up quickly, adopting the role of carer for her younger siblings. After moving to Perth, she pursued opportunities and forged new friendships out on the footy field. And in the years since we've come to know Brooke through our TV screens, she's become an advocate for mental health and continued to lead by example, proving that past experiences don't have to define us. In this episode, she chats with women's health writer Jess Campbell about her struggles with mental health, how she came to adopt such a strong attitude in the face of adversity, the power of sport to inspire change, and how her approach to health and fitness has matured over the years. How are you doing and how are things your side? I'm good. I just got back like literally this morning at two back into Melbourne from being in WA for a week. So nice. Are you based in Melbourne permanently? Yeah. And then family still in WA or do you just like to go there from time to time? No, they all base there and like go back just to like visit them and spend time with them and spend time on country and stuff. I didn't get to see all of my brothers because I saw my brothers, it was for his 18th on Wednesday. Um, And then one of my brothers was away for work and then the other one was like up north. So I was like, great timing, guys. The one week, the one week. You had literally like four weeks to book and make, you know, arrangements. Yeah. But anyways, it was good. I just got in so late last this morning. So I'm like tired. How often do you sort of go back? You know what? The latest I went, like the last time I went back was August, September. I went from Sydney to Perth, WA, and had to do like a quarantine. And that was when my sister's funeral was. So that was in September. And then I was there for a couple of months. And then I came back to Melbourne to like properly settle and live in November. I guess it's probably like a good place for us to start because I know a lot of us were obviously introduced to you from The Bachelor and then learned more about your story in The Bachelorette. But for those of us who maybe aren't across your whole life, can you take us back and tell tell us a little bit more about growing up in, it was Carnarvon, right? And sort of what what were you like as a kid and what do you remember of that time? I, I kind of have like, I guess, two sort of sides of my childhood they're very I describe them as very unconventional it wasn't like mum dad 
um, you know, brother, sister. I had, um, my mum was a single mum. She brought up us five kids and my nana was also, you know, under my mum's care. So she was also living in the house. We were all very close. I can remember being very close to my family. We're a family about, you know, community, culture, everything like that. Um, we looked out for one another. But there was quite a lot of tragedy towards the end of, I guess, you know, when I was 11, I lost my mum and my nan. And, you know, my life sort of changed from that. But before then, I was such a, I was a little quiet achiever kid. I was quite shy, but loved my sports, loved being outdoors, loved being with my brothers and being you know, around my cousins and, you know, getting up to a little bit of mischief, but like, you know, normal kid things. But at the same time, I then also still had a lot of responsibility to look after my siblings and look out for them. My mum wasn't really in the house that much. So we kind of grew up quite independent at times throughout her addiction. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I'm writing a memoir at the moment, so I'm really kind of starting to unpack a lot of my childhood. But the best or the way that I would describe it is, I guess, a bit unconventional. Are you the oldest of your siblings? I'm actually the middle child on, because I have my mother's side and my dad's side, but I'm the middle child of my mother's um, of my mother's children. So, but I naturally became more the the oldest because my older brother and older sister were kind of teenagers so they weren't really in the house either so they were doing their own thing and then I had my two younger brothers who were sort of heavily reliant on me three and seven and I was only I guess you know 10 11 in the house but you know just was just like a very I've always grown up being very maternal, always loved, you know, little children and, you know, playing mums and dads. And I think they also kind of came from a longing of just having what I deemed as a very normal family life. But, you know, having a mum and dad and, you know, having food in the fridge and stuff like that. But I think for me, I knew that my life wasn't typically the most normal in quotation um and like you know what is normal but I just knew that you know a lot of people had basic necessities where you know we missed out on a lot of normal human rights things um but you know I don't have any negative feelings towards how I was brought up to be honest it's definitely like shaped me for who I am and I think you know shaped me for the more resilient side of me um, you know, I feel like I focus on the things that do matter and the things that, you know, we should care about as a society rather than the things that we shouldn't, um, you know, that are more, you know, temporary or more petty or whatever you want to call it. And I feel like it's definitely, you know, it's interesting you saying that you're sort of the middle child because just in your line of work, um, what you do around sort of mental health and also as a sort of social worker, like, I, th- I feel like it comes across like you do have that very nurturing maternal sort of caring um just like almost aura around you you know um but like in yeah. a way like I I'm always interested as well because I've got two older brothers and one of the things I spend far too much time thinking about is like 
can we ever outgrow the roles our sort of siblings assigned to us? Because I very much still feel like the baby sister that I'm always asking them for advice. Will they ever do the same for me? Will they ever ask me for advice kind of thing? I mean, like, do you feel like some parts you were sort of forced to grow up super quickly, like, and miss Mm. maybe not miss out on childhood, but are there aspects of sort of your relationship and family dynamic where you're just seen as this sort of, yeah, really strong carer? Yeah. Well, I, before my mum and Nan died, obviously I, I grew up in a very strong matriarchal family where the women were the biggest drivers of family and community for us. And then, you know, losing them and then equally the same 14, 15 years later, losing my sister, I am the last standing female in my close family. Um, You know, I've got three brothers and they've got, you know, my brother has a boy um, and we don't have any grandparents left. Unfortunately, they're all passed. So a lot of loss actually in my family, which has kind of made us closer as a family, like me and my brothers, because we kind of, yeah, we don't have, we don't have anyone else but each other. And I have always been that one that keeps us together. And my goal, you know, and how I've always kind of gone about my life was that I wanted to make sure that we always stayed connected and stayed together. And because that's exactly what my mum and my nan probably would have wanted. And I've always been the biggest driver in, you know, creating traditions and, and doing the things that, you know, a mother or grandmother would do, like, you know, teaching my brothers how to cook or teaching them about superannuation, all the things that you wouldn't think, you know, as a sibling would have to do, but I've had to do generally because no no one has taken part in that role other than myself. And that comes with a lot of responsibility, I must admit. Like it, it takes a, a, a massive toll in having to, you know, do a normal day-to-day life working professionally and then also having to sort of, you know, parent your brothers but I've always been so maternal so I've always been very nurturing in the way that I it makes me it I receive joy making sure that everyone is happy and fed and you know is safe that is my main like I guess thing for my family is making sure that they're safe happy and you know protected or however you want to word that it it definitely does take a toll on you, I guess, emotionally, knowing that, like, I just, it, it just was a responsibility that I just had to take on. I, I don't know how to, how else to describe it to you. It's, it's more just, I had to step up to the plate, um, being the last female, I guess, you know, left in my family. I'm just, nat- I just naturally am that, that person. But equally at the same time, I, I, like, love it. Yeah, and I also really loved you do sort of say how your childhood was unconventional, but you don't sort of reflect on it negatively at all, which I think is really powerful. And I know you did a, a TED Talk talking about identity and how you came to reclaim yours. But one of the things that I, I think I took away from that was how you said you don't have to 
define your identity and you can also create a life for yourself beyond your current environment or your circumstances. Yeah. That's something you've really lived and sort of show through example also in youth work as well. Having had a childhood that, as you said, was punctuated by a lot of loss and trauma and that kind of thing, you know, how were you able to adopt that kind of mentality or adjust your outlook to that? Kind of like what you said before, I definitely had to grow up quite quickly. And, you know, I guess sort of, you know, um, fortunately at the detriment of losing um, loved ones. But I think growing up quickly, you just adapt so fast. I've always been a very empathetic person. And empathy, you know, is like putting yourself in a person's emotions and shoes. So I, I've naturally always been such a, a sensitive soul to people's emotions and feelings. Like I I, I don't know why and how I got that, but it, it just happened. And But I've also been quite a person who has a lot of perspective and I can look from the outside and see a situation for what it is and try to be optimistic about outcomes. Now, I've been a person who's always taken opportunities because I was always told from complete strangers and teachers who have had like such an impact on my life that you should always take opportunities until you don't, until you can say no to them. And that for me was a big driver in driving force in where life was going to take me because I was like, okay, well, I'll take any opportunity that is thrown at me little or small, whatever it is, because I'm either going to learn that I don't want to do that or I'm going to learn that I don't like, I do like it or I don't like it. And then from there, I'm able to then define and continue to define what the path is that I'm going to take in life. And so now, you know, I pinch myself because I probably say no more than I say yes. I mean, like, as as those sort of teachers said, like, when you are in a place where you can actually start saying no to um, opportunities, I feel like there's power in that as well. Also, being an Aboriginal person in a society that has, I guess, kind of casted a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as non-educated and, and stereotyped us into being disadvantaged in so many ways... I was like, I'm not going to ever, I, as, a, as a kid, I thought I would never receive these opportunities ever again. Um, so that's partly also what was driving the force of saying yes to so many because I didn't know if it was ever going to come back around. And, you know, 10 years after graduating high school, here I am, basically business owner, you know, working for you know, big brands like Oral-B and Garnier shooting commercials and all this stuff, writing a memoir. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like if I told my younger self that this is where I'd be, I wouldn't have done anything differently. Honestly, I wouldn't have – I can't say that I would do anything differently to what I've done now because I've only just ever trusted my intuition, my gut, and just listen to the people that care about you and have your back. Um, and try to block out noise because I've received so much noise, you know, there's so much noise with the industry that I'm in. But, 
you just have to block it out. There would be so much noise in the industry. And as you mentioned, having those people who have your back and care about you sort of within your inner circle, but how hard is that to find? Like prior to going on The Bachelor and Bachelorette, did you, were those people cemented in your life? Did you know just how much noise you would be around and what you were sort of getting into? No, I was so green to the whole TV media aspect of the show and didn't really know partly what I was signing up for. And I know that sounds so naive, but and I, I will happily admit that I was completely naive and, and green to it. Um, but the family that I have now are the same people that I had back then. And for me, my circle is is so tight and so close. Um, you know, they're the ones that I, I don't share on social media because they don't need to be. Like they do what they need, you know. Like we, I can separate, you know, my family connection and, and people that have my back to people that I have to work with industry, like acquaintances and, and you know, um, colleagues. In a world that's a lot of, um, you know, fabricate, you know, fabricating things and, and a lot of, you know, misinterpretation and, you know, a lot of people seem to think that they know you, but my close friends will say, no, they know me. And I live a very genuine, I think, you know, I share a very genuine authentic self on my platforms I'm not saying that that's not the case but yeah these people are the ones that have been there through my grief through the tragedy through um the breakups they're the ones that have been getting me out of bed every morning when things weren't so good but I mean it's funny because you say how you were sort of naive to the tv industry but I mean I think we all are like even as audiences it's only sort of now that we can that social media allows us to follow those people on reality tv that we're sort of seeing just how much of it is okay this is an editor taking sound bites this is like (laughs) them trying to get a narrative out of this plot line and all of that so it is I mean, like in some ways it really feels like you're signing your life away to just be edited Mm. however they want. Yeah, I know. Well, I've never let it kind of uh, define me. Like going back to that original question about, you know, letting my TED Talk was about, you know, I'm basically putting my foot down and saying you can define me and categorise me into whatever you feel like you want to but I won't ever let it define me as a person. Like I know my identity. I know who I am. I know where I come from. And I know what I've been through um, in my life to, to know that if you don't live your authentic and genuine self, you're going to have a bloody hard time. And mm-hmm. social media isn't easy for you to do that. It's It's very... A lot of people criticizing you, people always looking at you, people always dissecting every single thing that you do. But if you don't live authentic and genuine to yourself, you know, people read through the crack. Yeah. Yeah. Your platform definitely, definitely speaks to that because I think, you know, especially now more than ever, it feels like so much of our lives are online. You know, we're almost, it is that sort of idea of, performing a sort of highlight reel of our day-to-day and 
And I'm just curious, you know, how hard is it to like, do you, cause you obviously, I feel like with you, your followers know that you are super authentic and it's something I think comes across in all your posts and you're so willing to share so much of yourself, but is it ever, is, do you ever reach a point where you're like, okay, this, I need to like retain something just for me? Yeah, all the time. You, it's balance, I think. And it's balance and it's boundaries. I think, you know, I think I, we don't get taught this enough is about healthy boundaries in life. I remember reading a book by Dr. Rebecca Ray and it's called Setting Boundaries. And you're constantly doing it. Um, And it's not being like saying I don't want to do something because I want to be mean. It's saying I don't want to do something because I need to retain energy. I need to preserve my emotional, you know, I'm at my emotional capacity. I'm naturally an introverted person. Like I, I can be extroverted to be, you know, doing my job at times. But I'm actually, you know, I'll go into my shell a little bit and I'll do the things that I need to do to fill my cup, you know, like mindfulness and and kind of chill out and, and spend time with my family and my dog. Um, so, you know, I've learned that doing, you have to do the things that make you happy and, you know, there's not going to always be things that you enjoy and you just have to do, but you got to kind of have like a bit of a balance and boundaries definitely help do that with me with social media I I say I basically am very honest with my followers and say look I need a couple of days away I'm going away (laughs) I'm spending time I'm doing the things that I love and yeah like yeah you do get a bit of a highlight reel and you know we do have to you know as content creators do the the sponsored content but I actually love enjoying it and I do love sharing that with my followers but also I'm not afraid to share the the ugly stuff as well because vulnerability is honestly it's strength and that's what I, I truly believe is that if you can be able to be vulnerable with yourself but then also with others, that I admire that over being physically strong because I think that for me is so admirable and the strength to share vulnerability is not credited enough in this world no and it can be so so hard I mean I Mm. guess that's like one of the things people who watch um like The Bachelor and that kind of thing like you just see how hard it is for some people to open up to someone else um yeah Yeah. like countless you know followers on Instagram or that kind of thing but in some ways do you think social media is changing a little bit because it does feel in some respects that it is almost becoming a platform where people are more willing to start mm. conversations around mental health and sort of show their daily struggles and that kind of thing. I think TikTok has definitely helped with people being more like you know expressing more and mm. I think Instagram is trying to follow in that suit in the way that we need to have um I think you know with pandemic and everything that's happened over the last two years I think people have kind of had a bit of a shake up and realized that hey 
mental health actually is a legitimate thing. And the only way we're able to conquer the stigma is we have conversations and, you know, it's we are having conversations behind closed doors, but there are so many great people who have these amazing platforms to just be able to spark a single conversation or a single um, post that could mean a lot for a lot of people who no, don't necessarily have access to people. Like, let's be honest, you know, they might be isolated. Like, they, you know, people a lot through the pandemic were so isolated. And we taught that, you know, we were, when we isolate ourselves, things kind of don't really, you know, we need, humans need connection. Like we need either that physical connection or that emotional connection. And through the pandemic and, and through COVID, we, we saw that kind of, you know, kind of go out the window and not happen a lot. And um, I think people are realising, wow, like we can actually connect through devices. So it's so accessible. So why don't we have, the same conversations that we would have behind closed doors online um and that's does that make sense I feel like I'm just rambling but what I'm trying to say is like we've always kind of put these walls up and and not being you know had this sort of shame because in our community my community we have this thing oh don't be shame but we're trying to remove the shame around talking about it per se and you know it's it's about acceptance and guidance and then, you know, I, I've worked in a lot of suicide prevention but you won't know someone's not feeling well unless, you know, they speak about it or they're showing signs. I think it was also interesting what you said about the pandemic because in a lot of ways it feels like COVID was, it was such an awful just experience and it's still ongoing obviously but if there was one takeaway from the pandemic I think it is this sort of spotlight that we've put on mental health and in a lot of ways it felt like the first time where people suddenly stopped, paused, mm. a moment to sort of reflect and just also assess their lifestyle. Yeah. You know, like work balance and understanding that health isn't just fitness it's also you know mental health um our social lives our emotional well-being and all of that I'm just wondering you know was there anything you sort of learned about yourself during lockdown or perhaps even became more aware of yeah I've always been someone who's looked at health as holistic and and so broad um that's like kind of obviously why I moved into the industry of mental health because I think even mental health is just like so can open your eyes to so many different ways of um thinking and doing things as well but um throughout the pandemic for me I learned like I naturally love routine and I love structure because I didn't have that stability growing up. Um, So I had to really learn about being more adaptable and being, even though I was already open-minded, being more open-minded to um, different ways of healing. I have been going through a healing process basically since I came out of the womb. No, I um, I'm always just so interested about di- dif- different um, you know, conscious living and healthy living and um, you know, things that 
are so outside the box and, you know, how it could just like, and so, and everyone is so different to how they adapt to something, you know, some people love, love the structure of, you know, getting up at 5am in the morning and going for a gym. And some people love, you know, more just going for like, you know, walks with a dog. Like my meditation is going for a walk with my dog. Like I don't, I shut off. Like I just am in my own world and that's my space. But I didn't know that that was a type of meditation. It's just keeping like open-minded to there's not one way of doing things. But yeah, meditation is one of those things where I feel like you still have that image of like the yogi person, super chilled, sitting on mm-hmm. like a little plush cushion, some <laughs> green foliage in the background. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like That's what we're taught, right? And that's the imagery we see that it's this, you know, yogi piece thing. See, like I, running for me, that's like meditation. Um, yeah. And it, it is that sort of idea where just like the movement and being outdoors, it does so much for your, for your mind. But I do, I do want to get into um, mental health with you because obviously you've done so much work in the field. I'm wondering what drew you to social work as well? I kind of fell into it at a really, ironically, at a really crappy time in my life. I was working in a very a mining job and it conflicted with my morals my values like I'm a I'm a very outdoorsy person and for me being outdoors and on country and it it just it's it's meditation for me it's it's soothing it's healing um and only I guess you know a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people will, will understand what that means but you know just like, you know, getting a bit of vitamin D, what that does for our mental health and our brain and the serotonin and everything else. But at a really crappy time in my life, I was made redundant from my job and I was four weeks um, unemployed and didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And then suddenly um, a good friend of mine who was who also inspired me to do my TED Talk because she did one, um gave basically yeah told me about a job and it was with a youth mental health service and so I started working I got the job and started working at this youth mental health service and I just I've always been really good with young people and working I I think it's a detriment because I also look very young and you know have a very sort of warm nature like I I think that I I, I've always been told that I'm very approachable and I pride myself on making sure that you know everyone is welcomed in my home or in my space um unless I don't want them to be um anyway so when I started working at this mental health youth service I was only working the desk so I started from the bottom and I thought I loved seeing the progression of young people come in and not know themselves and be so I didn't love it at the start I I seeing young people in such a, a a really crappy state of mind but then leaving with so much confidence and so much charisma and such a beautiful aura about them by the end of you know receiving help and reaching out I just was like 
this is what I need to be in because I love building relationships. I loved helping people. I had this, you know, this ability to connect really well, you know, and and build rapport really easily. So that's how it started. So I, I became a youth worker throughout that job and then kind of expanded and moved from there. But it all kind of extends from, I guess, wanting to do more than what you had, I guess, trying to be, trying to help people not go through what you had to do, go through, if that makes sense. It kind of extends from your own, my own lived experience um, to wanting to do more for my, you know, my family, but my community and, you know, also a minority group, the conflictions that I had growing up with sexuality and identity, I just kind of was like, I don't want anyone to go through the same thing. Yeah. How did you navigate that yourself, Brooke? Like when you were going through that, did you know, was it one of those things where you you sort of had the resources or knew that you could reach out for those kind of things or did you very much sort of just navigate it and feel that you're taking it on alone? Um. To be quite frank and quite honest with you is that I I was writing a solo life for a very long time. I became really independent very quickly and just super reliant on myself. And I think that kind of is naturally a defence mechanism for me and had been for so many years was that I had no consistency with the people in my life, that everyone that was in my life had kind of come in and out or had left or had tragically passed so I had to heavily rely on myself and every time I caught myself falling I'd pick myself up because I had no one else to do that for me and it's sad because I don't and that was the reason why I didn't want anyone any other young person to go through life and throughout you know whatever their experience is, to feel the same way. I just kind of, I always generally, like I generally always felt very alone. Um, Luckily now I don't feel that because I have awesome people around me. But the thing is if, you know, any young person ever felt alone, I just wanted to be there for them and make sure that they could rely on me and I, you know, and I always made myself so accessible to them. On now, on a broader scale, I'm accessible to thousands of people, you know, which definitely is, you know, hard at times, but I wouldn't change it. I just want people to not feel so alone. I know you're also an ambassador for Maybelline's Brave Together platform, which is amazing, and how they're sort of encouraging this open and honest conversations about mental health from your own experience and in your line of work what do you think are the conversations we need to be having right now about mental health I think one of the first and you know like advice I I always say that I'm no guru and I can't you know hold your hand throughout life as much as I'd like to um I can only you know share my lived experience and hope that people also you know resonate with that but one of the biggest things is like is to not so be so critical and so hard on yourself all the time and to cut yourself some slack 
I know that's so much easier said than done, but I think around mental health and especially with women, we want to always feel like we've got our shit together and we've got everything together in life, you know, our heart, like, you know, even basic things like hygiene, physical health, the way that we look, the way that we dress, everything. And I think we need to just ease up on ourselves a little bit and just say, even be honest, you know, with people around us, like today is just not my day, you know, and I don't have to have my shit together 24 seven. Um, and that's okay. I don't know. I feel like that's, I wish someone told me that every single, I wish I, I got told that, you know, before Batchy, post Batchy. It's one of those things where like you hear that advice and you're like, yeah, like it makes so much sense, but it's so hard to sort of put it in place I feel like even just the way we talk to ourselves oh our negative self-talk as women is so fucking bad I know and it's like one of those things where I remember talking to a friend and she was like why are you like the most encouraging person to me but then like to yourself you're like oh this is terrible like whatever I'm like I do not know like I can't yeah it's a struggle we're our own worst critic I just feel like we need to be our own best friend at times because, you know, we're so good to give good advice and and good encouragement, like you said, to, you know, other people. But when do we ever say that to ourselves? When do we ever highlight all the amazing things that we've done in our life, whether that's being mothers to our children, whether that's being business owners, whether that's being people that motivate other people to live their best lives like I I forget I get so wrapped up in my day-to-day life like I just feel like we just need to give ourselves a little bit of love and a little bit of a pat on the back sometimes because we are doing amazing I think everyone has done an amazing job so far throughout this whole pandemic period of our lives and we've just adapted and we've learned to to grow and adapt with it but yeah the the self-talk for me you know I'm self-critical I'm very self-deprecating in a way that you know I even if when I meet someone if I'm not being you know taking the piss out of myself like have I really even had a conversation and I need to stop doing that (laughs) and I are the same person in that regard like yeah I was like, yeah, first date, I'm essentially just not selling myself at all. It's like, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Oh. But yeah, you will do today, you will do that, <laughs> you know, how many times? You'll say this and then you'll go ahead and you'll be like, oh, shit, I haven't. Exactly. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, Brooke, talk to me about the memoir. Is this the book called Big Love? Did I? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. What can you tell us about the book? Well, again, I guess going off the Batchy theme and, you know, my life, um, love is definitely something that, one, we all enjoy. We, you know, like love is kind of everything. We want to love each other we want to love ourselves we want to love the things that you know the things that we do in our life and I think obviously it's the the theme of how Australia got to meet me was on you know a love reality tv show but the memoir just isn't about I guess the soppy 
you know, the soppy love romance stuff as well. It's, you know, it's a contrast between my childhood, the things that I've had to overcome and the learnings that I've learned from that. It's a message to not only my younger self but also to young Aboriginal girls who have been in similar roles to what I had to when I was growing up. But I also think it's a message to the general population that, you know, about young Aboriginal people and what they go through day to day with being questioned with their identity or being categorized or being told that they aren't good enough so there's a lot to unpack in it it's been really hard to resurface so much trauma in very short period of time but luckily she's got thick skin (laughs) like how, how have you found the writing process I mean has it been cathartic in some sense that's probably the best word to describe it and I think cathartic is the only word to describe it so far it will be such a momentous thing for me I don't know if momentous is the right word but I'm just going to use it for now for when I have that you know that hard copy in my hand because I know the work and the struggle that I've had so far going through life but also just getting it to paper it would feel for me like, because it's not just, it's not just something that I'm doing for myself, right? It's something that I'm doing for my family and also for my mum and my nan to write their, this is not just my story, it's their story. And it's a hard one to write because um, writing, you know, poverty is ugly. It's messy. It's, it's not nice to write about. And do people want to read about that? Probably not. But I'm going to give it to him anyways. <laughs> no, um, I found the process cathartic, equally emotional, but just hoping that, you know, the reward of it and having it in my physical hands will be so worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, it's one of those things I know, I know you said sort of poverty, writing about that is hard. And yet it might be one of those things where it's uncomfortable to read as well. But yeah, that's the whole point as well. Yeah, I think a lot of, you know, people that might pick it up thinking that it's this really, you know, lovely book about love and romance, I think they might be confronted by it. I think they might be shocked and I think it's going to make a lot of people feel a bit uncomfortable at times. But you know, I, I want people to realise and understand, you know, the privilege that we have in Australia because a lot of people haven't grown up with that same privilege. And if we can acknowledge, you know, I didn't grow up with privilege, but do I have privilege now? Yes, like with everything that I've worked for. But some people are just born into that. I have had to work for it. And, you know, that journey hasn't been easy. And on the love side of things. Yeah. Uh, what has how has your um attitude life. <laughs> well, I was gonna say like what has your has your understanding of love changed at all? It's it's gotten more deeper. The view of love, you know, even even before the show or after the show hasn't, 
you know, it has always been such a deeper meaning for me. I'm still very hopeful and very optimistic about finding love and I think finding my person. Um, Have I put a little bit of a halt on it being my focus? Absolutely. I think the love for my, you know, for myself has to become, has to come way before that happens. Um, And for a period of that, you know, for a period of time there, I, I lost a lot of love for myself. So I'm just trying to reclaim that back and and get back to the person that I, you know, have always known to be that confident, you know, very loving, caring person and, you know, can give out, you know, can pour out of my cup. But I'm at the moment, yeah, just still, you know, trickling into filling it up and making sure that I've got, you know, the right, I'm doing the right thing by myself. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's where it all starts as well. Yeah. Maybe when I'm not looking, I think the looking part. (laughs) (laughs) They always say, hey, it's like always when you're not looking that you end up meeting the person. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I know I've kept you a while, but just a few more questions, Brooke. I wanted to go back because I know you were sort of saying when you were growing up, you were playing lots of sports and all of that. And I know you're like an AFL player. And I'm just wondering, like, what is your first memory of sort of being introduced to the sport? It's, I just remember always having a footy in the house all, all the time. Yeah. I think my youngest memory was probably like seven or eight, you know, always having like a little like foamy, you know, always pretty haggard <laughs> footy. Um, but, you know, always kind of running around in the backyard like throwing balls, kicking them, doing that sort of stuff. My first ever club that I played for for a team was probably when I was about 10. Um, it was, yeah. I, I actually didn't have the, the privilege to do Auskick because we didn't have Auskick in a country town, but we did have like, you know, country footy. And so, yeah, my earliest time of playing in a team was about 10 and I was in a mixed team with the boys and I got given um, the smallest jumper and that's why my number has always been number one because it went from sizing to big, like went from small sizing to big sizing. Um, and because I was like the smallest being the girl, I got, yeah, the jumper number one. Footy's just been, you know, I would go back in a heartbeat, but I, <laughs> the, the fear of injury outweighs my yeah. job. Like, <laughs> but I mean, like what did that do for you at the time in terms of, I mean, sport can do so much for our identity as well. And so that teaching of empowerment and strength, what did you gain from it? Well, it gave me community when, you know, again, I felt so alone in a a new city and playing footy for me. Like I saw these, you know, these women consistently every week and they became like family, like sisters to me. And then throughout that, you're not just one person doing something you work as a team so you kind of learn that you can't always do things on your own you need people to have your back and have your and be there for you so I just learned I just think footy for me just learned so many different skills like leadership Um, I learned how to like you know speak in front of people I learned to really push myself but not also equally be so hard on myself if I didn't do something that I you know said I was going to do the women gave me a very comfortable environment also equally to express my 
identity and, and sexuality. I think a lot of them were or had identified as being queer or gay or lesbian or whatever. And I felt like that was just a safe place for me to go to when I wasn't, when I didn't have that many safe places. And they all, I guess, knew what was happening in my life. So they all kind of, you know, stepped up and had, a, you know, you know, need, if I needed them, they knew to be there for me. Um, you generally saved my life in terms of, you know, gave me everything that I hadn't had and the stability of it and being so consistent and, and on the equal side of being that physical that it, it gave you, you know, men, like mental strength and, and physical health and, and strength in general because <laughs> I was a very scrawny little girl. Um, and now, you know, like I've, I've got muscles and I've worked so hard for them and I'm really proud of them, but that wouldn't have come if it wasn't for footy. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've got scars to show how hard I've worked over the years, Um, you know, like footy scars and rugby scars (laughs) Um, because I'm not afraid, you know. It came it became, it made me a little bit reckless. I must admit I used to throw my body weight way beyond that I thought that I was bigger than I was. But it gives you, you know, that mental ability or that mental strength to be like, I can do this. Even when you think that you can't, you're like, what's stopping me? Yeah, no, it's so true. And I mean, like, I know you also confess to sort of being a lover of routine now. Um, (laughs) In terms of like health and well-being and all of that, how do you, like, what is a perfect day for you? Um, I still generally love doing a morning workout. Like I am more of a morning workout person. Even with footy, like I used to have to do double sessions because I had training in the afternoon. But now these days... It's finding a balance of feeling, I guess, like if I go for a big walk, that for me is enough because that is fulfilling an exercise, but also it's more mental than anything. I do things more now, like um, like I love a routine, but I've really just kind of changed the way that I think about things and think about fitness and think about health. So you know, I thought if I had, I had to work and do a heavy workout for an hour to be healthy, but I can just go for a nice walk for an hour with my dog and that's equally done the same job. So it's about perspective. And I think, you know, I've definitely changed the way that I think about things as long as my dog is happy. (laughs) And as long as I've got enough water in the day, Cobra, the the dog needs to mention (laughs) Cobra is my life. Um, how old he's two but you know he was I got his during COVID (laughs) but not not intentionally actually I got him just before the pandemic happened but um you know I think a lot of people's dogs save their lives but not not to like (laughs) flex on my dog um but I love honestly coffee makes me so happy you know it's not just the effect of it I think it's like the little endorphins that I get when I do a workout and I know that I'm going to get the reward of a coffee afterwards. I love that. What's your coffee order, Brooke? Oh, my God, I'm such a basic bitch. Um, I'm an oat flat, oat flat white. <laughs> oh, no, that's like – I feel like that's the sophisticated one. <laughs> it's when you start adding in, like, the flavours, like the hazelnut, some cream on there. Like, yeah, no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> 
that's a an oak flat white or a long black for me to be honest oh wow okay yeah that's that's a worldly coffee order i feel the long black <laughs> Of the berry means business. <laughs> yeah, the long back. Yeah, definitely means. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay, just a few quick fire questions to round this out. Favorite or like, what's a current song that on the days where you're just not feeling motivated at all to work out or go on a walk? What's a song that you can hit play and something gives you energy? it would be okay it's just gonna be on a theme take it easy by i think it's stan smith okay um i'm gonna have to listen to this later or it's actually like mariah fantasy stan walker stan walker take Take it easy by stan walker do you have a book that you've read recently or it could be a book in the past that like the one book that you'd recommend to friends? Yes. Um, quite a few actually. But I I think on the theme of this, I think The Setting Boundaries by Dr. Rebecca Ray was very helpful in setting boundaries with relationships. It's just something I've not thought at all. No, that's it. And being in your, you know, your 20s, early 20s, late 20s and your early 30s, I think – you become more conservative of your time and and you kind of have – it teaches you to sort of learn to properly have conversations with your friends and family being like, oh, I would love to do that, you know, and, and how to like have that conversation and put a sentence together that it means that you don't – it's not like you don't want to do it or because people think, oh, you're setting boundaries, you're just being mean, you don't want to do it. But it's like, no, it's like conservative of your energy and your time and your space and it's picking up on – you know, flags when people cross boundaries. That's the main thing is when people yeah, cross your boundaries and you know that they have, but you don't know, you don't really regularly have that conversation. I love it. Finally, Brooke, this is a weird one, but I know in a podcast I, I was listening to that you're on, called yourself a serious snacker. And I was like, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> that's the person I want coming along for any sort of road trip. Yes. <laughs> So what is like what are your go-to snacks right now? <laughs> go-to now? Um have they changed at all or are you like creature of habit where you just go same snack daily for months on end? I'm a creature of habit, but the list has gotten bigger over the years of um you know variety because I'm like, "Oh, I do love that and I'll repeat it." But at the moment currently I'm obsessed with the mini cucumbers, just eating them. Oh, the like cukes, they're so cute. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I feel like there's not, a, there's not enough in like the little boxes. Oh, I can so smash a whole box. Day. Oh, yeah. easily. And you end the day and you just like got this trash can filled with like all these like little boxes of like. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to be plastic free. And then I'm like. That, that's oh. so healthy though. Like I was, ex- I was wanting something that, I don't know. Or the other one is um, the Cobbs popcorn, which is the cheese one. Um, oh, haven't the, tried. Okay. The cheese Cobbs popcorn is, you know, like. You start a packet, you're gonna finish a packet. That's it. that's wild to me. A cheese flavored popcorn. Yeah, that's I know. Delicious. 
don't mock it until you try it. I hold. No, I, I respect this. I mean, I'm I'm normally like solely salt and vinegar or something yeah. like but cheese sounds interesting amazing Brooke I've kept you so long and this has been such a great conversation thank you so much Brooke really appreciated this chat and it's been so great to hear from you anytime Jess thanks this episode of Uninterrupted was hosted by Jess Campbell and produced by me Lisa Gebilagin for more from us pick up a copy of the latest issue of Women's Health with Brooke Blurden on the cover find it on newsstands or online via Zinio and Apple News Plus and visit us at womenshealth.com.au see you next time